Friends, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 3 tonight. Mark chapter 3, we got a little bit of time to spend in God's Word together. And I'm really excited about this uh, because we're beginning a new series of talks tonight. Uh, this past couple weeks ago, we wrapped up our series that we began at the beginning of the year talking about, thinking about conversion. And I began there because I wanted to help us as a church begin to understand what a Christian actually is. And you may think, well, that's a silly thing for a pastor to want for a church to understand. Doesn't everybody already understand that in the church? Well, you'd be surprised. But I, I wanted us to begin there, maybe for most of us, just as a refresher of what does it actually mean to be a Christian? What does it actually mean to be converted from death to life? And we saw in those four weeks we took to look at those that a Christian is somebody who's been regenerated, that their, their heart of stone has been transformed into a heart of flesh, that they've been given a, a new identity and a new life in Christ. And in that regeneration, in that being born again, as Jesus says in John 3, they are redeemed from death to life, as Ephesians tells us. And in that being redeemed from death to life, we respond we looked at 1 John 1 and responding in repentance and in faith. And then a couple weeks ago, we closed that time by thinking about this idea of renewing from Colossians 3. That, that when we are converted, that conversion, yes, it is a one-time thing, but our conversion continues to work itself out through our lives where we continually put off the old man and put on the new. And so I wanted to set us up there so that I could get to this question. What is it that Christians do once they are converted? What is it that we do once we become believers in Jesus Christ? And here's the short answer. Christians are discipled and they do discipling. They are discipled and they do discipling. And so my aim for us over the next four weeks is to think about and to lay a foundation theologically, mentally, knowledge-wise, to give you truth about discipling, but also to get really practical over the next few weeks. I've been talking to Sean and David about this regularly in our elders' meetings and in other places. We've been discussing this, that, that over the last couple years at a church, as a church, we've really put some of the building blocks of church structure in place and, and really done a lot of work of putting things right that I really feel like now as a church, our, our, our job, what we really have an opportunity to do is to grow organically as a church, is to really do the work that a healthy church is to be about. And, and here I want to, over the next several weeks, lay out what that work is. It's very simple. As a church, we are called to be discipled and to do discipling. Why? Well, because this is, this is how healthy churches grow together. Hey, some of us are doing it. Some of us are discipling, it, are discipling others, and we don't even realize that we're doing it. So, I, so I wanna, for those of you who are doing it, I want to help you see that you're doing it. But those of us who are not and need to grow in our discipling ministries, who need to be discipled, I want to give you a reason to do that. And so really I have two goals for these discipling talks. Goal number one, for discipling to become the regular language that we use when we talk about our life together. That we don't primarily talk about life together as just hanging out, just kicking the can around the yard. That we don't just have fun together. That we don't do outings together. That we are a church that when we're together, we are discipling one another. And you'll see in weeks to come that this takes all different kinds of forms. But I want that to be our regular language. That we're discipling. Who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? 
That's goal number one. Goal number two is for discipling then to be the regular culture of our church and our relationships together. That our relationships together, the deepest relationships we have, are not because so-and-so likes the same sports team that I do, or so-and-so likes to wear the same kind of clothes that I do, or so-and-so likes classic country music just like I do. I'd just be alone in that relationship. No, I want our relationships together to be formed around this idea of who's discipling us. And who are we discipling? And I think what you'll see in the weeks to come is that relationships that are based on discipleship span the ages, span the preferences, span the ideas and the ways in which we live. And we're not confined to a group of people who are just like us. And so the base verse for our understanding then I want to get to tonight, I want to answer the question, what is discipling? Our base verse I want us to look at is in Mark 3. Mark 3. This is early in Jesus' ministry. And this is Mark's telling of how Jesus calls the apostles to himself. So I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. And that's it. And I, and I want to build off of this an argument for what is discipling. So look with me at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And when he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. A very interesting verse. A couple verses. Jesus is very deliberate here. And I want you to see this. There's really four things that we find that are fundamental truths about discipling that are shown here in Jesus' own ministry. There was a book that David tried to give away. Somebody may have gotten it a couple weeks ago. Oh, we have some books. I should give them away at the end. That was called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. I don't know if any of you have ever read it. It's a classic. I think it's like 50 million copies of the book have sold. The problem with Robert Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, is it has a really bad name. Because the book is actually, what it should be called, is The Master Plan of Discipleship. And it's basically, the entire book is just tracing what Jesus does, laid out here in Mark 3. And there's four fundamental things about Jesus' own ministry that we can learn from. And I think a lot of times we get this wrong. Because we want to see Jesus as our substitute, right? That he takes our sin. We don't want to be moralistic and we just say, oh, well, Jesus is just a good example. So we should just be like Jesus. No, Jesus did something that we could not do ourselves. He took our place as a sinless man, fully God, fully man, paying for our sin upon the cross. Jesus was our substitute. But he wasn't just our substitute. He was also the master discipler. And so we can learn from his example. So all that to say, here are four things that we see in this verse that help us come to a good definition of what discipling is. We see that discipling happens to those who have been called by Jesus and have responded. This is what sets discipling apart from evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with those who have not yet been called and have not yet responded to the gospel. They're sinners who are lost in their sin. But discipling happens to those who have been called by Jesus and have responded in repentance and belief. Christians are discipled. Number two, discipling then is deliberate and specific in who it is done to. Discipling is a very deliberate thing. Look back at the verses. And he went up on the mountain and called him those whom he desired. We know in Jesus' own ministry that he he set apart these 12 men who were known as the apostles. But even within that 12, he had a special relationship with three. 
Peter, James, and John. And yet even within that special relationship with those three, we find John is the one who's known as the beloved apostle, the beloved disciple. And so we see that Jesus himself in his own ministry on earth is deliberate. To say it in, in, in a way that I hope doesn't sound blasphemous, in Jesus entering into flesh, human, earthly flesh, he couldn't call everybody all at once because he was himself confined to a certain time and a certain space. And so he was deliberate. He was specific in who he called and who he had with him. And so we see here then in the same thing, the same vein, the third truth, discipling doesn't happen in a classroom. But it happens by being together. Sure, you can be discipled in teaching ministries from a pastor, from a professor, from someone standing in front of you just like this. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But primarily in Jesus' own ministry, discipling happened. Look back at verse 14. So that they may be with him. They spent time together. They did life together. And that's a phrase I don't, I don't like using too much because it's kind of one of those hipster Christianity phrases. We need to do life together, right? But that's actually what they did. They, they were spending their life with Jesus day and night. Which brings us to the fourth portion of what is discipling. It has the end goal of being fruitful and multiplying. You see the reason there at the end of verse 14, why Jesus called these 12 to be among him, to go with him. Look back there at the end of verse 14. So that he might be with them and he might send them out to proclaim, is literally what it says in the Greek, to proclaim the good news. The end goal of discipling is to not create a bunch of Christian eggheads who just have a bunch of knowledge and they walk around and can't stand up straight because their heads are so big. No, the end goal of discipleship is to bear more fruit. It is to multiply. It's very interesting that the creation mandate carries over under the new covenant that God calls us as Christians, just as he called Adam and Eve in the garden, to be fruitful and to multiply. Some of us do that with procreation and in marriage, but every Christian is called to be fruitful and multiply spiritually in making disciples. And so, putting all these together, what is a good definition of discipling? Well, I think Mark Dever has a really good definition in his own book that's titled Discipling. And let me just give it to you because it's my favorite definition that I've ever come across. Robert Coleman's is really good in the Master Plan of Evangelism. But here's Mark's in the book Discipling. He says, discipling is helping someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in his or her life. Helping someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in his or her life. If you didn't get that written down, I can show it to you afterwards. So let's talk about this definition then for a few more minutes. How do we do spiritual good, deliberate spiritual good in helping someone follow Jesus in their life? We do this really in the context of the local church. It is the place where discipleship should and most regularly does happen. Not just in today's time, but throughout church history. The local church is where this happens. This is why we should make the local church, the gathering of believers, a priority. Because, two things. Number one, we're all being influenced 
And we're all having our lives oriented in a certain direction. Do you realize this? That that you're being influenced in some way and you're influencing others in some way. And your life itself is oriented in one direction or another. And so the first thing we see is that when a church promotes and prioritizes discipling, they are ensuring that the members are influencing one another not in all being alike and liking the same things, but, but toward gospel belief and gospel transformation. And so as a church, we want to prioritize discipling because we want to be influencing one another towards Jesus. A.K.A. we continue the ministry of Jesus in helping people follow him more and more and more. But number two, when as a church we promote and prioritize discipling, We are ensuring that that the members are orienting their lives around eternal things and not living as friends of this world. So we want to prioritize discipling in our church so that we can make sure in one another's lives that our lives are pointed towards that heavenly city that we heard about this morning. A.K.A. our doctrine and life attain their shape within the doctrine and life of the community. Does that make sense? And I hope that's not news to any of you that, that you thought that you were going to join a church and, and your thoughts and your actions and your belief was not going to be shaped and formed by that church. This is what happens when groups of people get together. They affect one another and they reorient their lives together. And this is best seen in the local church. As one pastor put it, the local church, this father-designed, Jesus-authorized, spirit-gifted body is far better equipped to undertake the work of discipling believers than simply you and your one friend. Jesus does not promise that you and your one friend will defeat the gates of hell. He promises that the church will do this. And so we need one another. So let's talk then about, for a few minutes about the work and the means of discipleship. What does discipling someone actually entail? Well, it is, it is a work. It's something that we must take up. Discipling involves transmitting the knowledge of God and His Word in every moment of life. It involves making things that we may just gloss over now spiritual things. Things we talk about. And so there's a means that discipling lasts all week as the members of the church talk and pray and encourage and serve one another in the fight for love and holiness together. That we have a means of, of, of how God has given us to, to encourage one another along. This is where I'll bring up the role of pastors. That, that if Jesus is the chief example as, as the great shepherd in bringing his sheep to himself and growing them, then pastors themselves are under shepherds. And our greatest role, primarily what a pastor is, is he's discipler of a group of people. So, so every Sunday morning when I stand in the pulpit or one of these brothers stands in the pulpit and preaches to you, that is the greatest discipling ministry of the entire church. Because in that moment when God's word is being conveyed and applied to your life, mass discipleship is taking place. And so as pastors, you can hold us accountable to this. We should be leading out and discipling. But what if you don't want to? Let me give you five objections to discipling. And this will kind of be where we close. Five objections to discipling and why they're trash. Okay, here we go. Number one. Well, I think they are. But these are ones that well up in my own heart. So don't be offended because 
if they're true of you, they're probably true of me too. I've had the same thoughts. Number one, the people who would disciple me aren't perfect. The people who would disciple me are probably not people I actually want discipling me. Well, friends, neither are you perfect. God is the only perfect one in the equation. He gets the glory of using imperfect vessels like us. And so what we have to remember in discipling is the more humble we are, the more we'll find that we can learn from any other disciple around us. Number two, if a person is always listening to whoever is discipling them, maybe they'll become unsubmissive to the authorities that God has put in their life, like their parents or their spouse or their elders. Well, actually, if discipling is well done, discipling actually fosters appropriate submission to the authorities established by God. And so what this means, and this is kind of a a big principle, but, but this is a good test. If you are being discipled away from submitting to the authorities that God commands you to submit to, that is a red flag that you're being discipled poorly. Number three, this discipling stuff seems self-centered and prideful. Well, in actuality, Christian discipling is quite the opposite. Because we are not attempting to help Christians look more like us. That's not the goal of discipling. The goal of discipling is to help Christians look more like Jesus. Discipling doesn't call someone to look just like you or to think like you or to model your style or your preferences. It helps them follow Jesus and obey His command, imitating you only insofar as you're imitating Christ. Objection number four. I can't disciple. I'm imperfect and sinful and not very wise. I don't even know the Bible that well. Who would even listen to me? Well, friends, if you're truly a follower of Christ, all you need to do is to share what you do know, not what you don't know. You can't share what you don't know, but you can share what you do know. Sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. I need to go research that answer. For many people around you, That will mean that you're simply sharing the gospel so that they can begin their journey of discipling. With fellow church members, discipling for you may mean initiating spiritual conversations, as awkward as they may be, by asking a lot of questions, sharing what you're learning, what you heard from the sermon that really impacted your life, or simply praying for someone. It's a discipling ministry. It's that simple. Number five, I don't need it. I mean, surely I've acquired the most essential parts of the Christian life, and there doesn't really seem to be anyone in the church I can truly learn from. And I'm too busy anyway. So there's kind of a lot of objections wrapped up into that one statement. They seem to go together for some reason. What this sounds like is a Lone Ranger Christianity, doesn't it? Which is a recipe for a good TV show, but a bad recipe for looking like Jesus. Jesus did not die for separate individuals, but for a church, a body, a bride. God says that we demonstrate our love for him by our love for one another. And that if we refuse to love one another and to build one another up and to be built up, that the love of God is actually not in us. So if we refuse to let others help us, or we think ourselves as a above them or, or beyond them, then we are actually displaying a haughty spirit toward God. And we're saying, God, I actually know what's better for my spiritual life than you do. That's a place we don't want to be. 
And if we're too busy, if you're too busy to be discipled or to be discipling someone, simply put, unless you change your lifestyle, you will become stunted in your spiritual growth and you will do harm, spiritual harm, to the body of believers that you've committed to. That's the reality of it. That if you are too busy in your life, you're only going to go so far spiritually and you're actually going to hurt the people that you've committed to love. Okay, so here's the final application. If discipling is helping someone follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in his or her life, then you need to be being discipled and you need to be discipling. You need someone who is more mature than you pouring into your life and you need to be pouring into someone else's life doing spiritual good to them. A failure, I feel, to take up this ministry is a failure to trust Jesus and obey his mission for your life. The Christian life is the discipled life and the discipling life. And this, if we pursue it, is how, as a church, we grow into spiritual maturity together. It's how we, as a church, are welcoming to those who are lost and struggling and weak in their faith, that they, too, may grow in maturity. So we're going to think about this more in the weeks to come. Next week, we're going to think about who should we disciple. The week after that, we're going to think about how should we disciple. And finally, we're going to think about why should we disciple. So we're going to think about those three things over the next few weeks. Well, let me close this in prayer, and we'll sing once more together. Lord God, we do pray and we ask that you would help make us disciples who are discipling others. God, you told us in Matthew 28 to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that you commanded. And God, you have commanded us to do spiritual good to one another. And so, God, we pray and we ask that we would obey your word and allowing ourselves to be discipled by those around us and seeking to disciple others. God, would you help us to build relationships, help us to take up the means that you've given us, that your church may reflect your beauty and your glory now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.